UK Motor Talk. Well, hello you lot, it's 2022 and welcome back. Uh, I'm here, I'm Mike. I'm Jim, hello, happy new year. And I'm Dave, how are we all? Happy new year. And I'm afraid Graham can't be with us this evening because he got a new bike for Christmas and it has a very uncomfortable saddle. Things that have happened since we last spoke to you, well, Christmas happened, but that's a million to years ago now, so a long, long time ago. Did anyone get anything good? A rather large bottle of scotch, so yeah. A couple of weeks off work. <laughs> Well, not just due to self-isolation. No, no. Actual wise planning this time last year, booking my leaving before anyone else got the chance. <laughs> They've got wise to that one now, though, so next year I'll probably be working all through Christmas and New Year. But hey, it was good while it lasted. I will say that, uh, that the Playmobil we talked about last time, I, I did get a Back to the Future DeLorean. I was really quite excited by that. And all the sets that go for the different movies. But my little boy sees it on the table and goes, play with Daddy's car? And he just, he raises one eyebrow and looks at me and he's like, oh, okay. And so we've been playing Back to the Future a lot, which is fine. Fine by me. Quite happy with that. And here we are in a new year. What can I say? Variable. Sometimes it's really warm, sometimes it's freezing cold, but otherwise we've just rolled into 2022. And here's hoping it's, it's better than the last one. I'm sure it's going to be it's gonna be fine, isn't it? We've already had some good news today, haven't we? Yes, we have. The, um, the government have halted the rollout of um, so-called smart motorways which has got to be a good thing Thank pending God. pending more inquiries they reckon they want five years worth of um of running and results before they can then say yay or nay and it does seem that they are going to be if nothing else putting in more refuges more places where you can break down opposite if you're lucky so at least we should be grateful for that but um this is at least proof that the government does listen sometimes i think there was enough weight of opposition against it that they they couldn't not listen and yeah i mean won't get political this lot tend not to listen to anyone but themselves but for once it does seem that they have heeded the basically continual brickbats they were getting i mean everybody said what a stupid idea this was and it is all just to do with cost cutting there's nothing else to do with it. it's just pure money and um, people were dying as a result of it and I think there was even an incident in the last week on the M25 where somebody died and uh, I think that was in a a, a smart so-called running section Uh, so it keeps happening so the sooner that they decide that it's a stupid idea and put it all back to hard shoulder the better as far as I'm concerned yeah and it's costing them millions actually millions to, to upgrade the roads they've already upgraded yeah, yeah, it's it's money thrown away. It's uh, it's funny that you mention uh, the government announcing things today because I I didn't hear the government announce anything about this. I thought all of the government were busy talking about other things today. I must admit, so that uh, that slightly <laughs> passed me by that one. Topical, you see. It was this morning before um, the incumbent of Number Ten Downing Street had to go and um, mumble his apologies to his peers in Parliament. Good boy. But- but there we go. I did, I did like right. that. That was I. I didn't realise I was at a party. I mean, that's not a bad excuse, is it? As far as they go, it's you know, it, it, when when you get pulled over by the police, do you know how fast you were going? No, I don't. Well, you were doing one hundred and four. Totally sorry, I didn't realise. Is is normally the excuse that most of us give. So it's um, Am I in yeah, a car? As, as excuses go, it's been well trotted out. Well, that that yeah. that, that would explain why I was uh, stood there with a party hat and uh, and uh, a bottle of wine in my hand. I mean, I I I'm completely at loss as to how that would have happened. I mean, I it's a mistake anyone could have made under the circumstances. <laughs> On the real world, yes, there are at the moment. 
375 miles of so-called smart motorway, including 235 miles with no hard shoulder. That's 235 miles where you've got to hope that you are opposite a lay-by, and that is just absolutely insane. So, if you're listening, the government, please listen very carefully and scrap the idea. It is utter madness. It is. I I can't believe they're having to spend millions and millions to upgrade roads they've already upgraded where they should just put another lane in anyway. They're going to be putting in some sort of radar detector that's going to show that people have broken down, which I think would be brilliant. Because bearing in mind how often you're stopped on the motorway anyway, it's going to be constantly saying, this traffic stopped. This traffic stopped. Everyone's seen the photos of you know, an AA or an RAC patrol wagon where they, they put them, they, they park up, put the cars on a hard, or the vans on hard lot. So if they get rear-ended, hopefully it pushes it out of the way. But we've all seen them reduced by half. And there was one mm-hmm. on the back of a truck I think it was yesterday, day before yesterday, I looked at it and thought, bloody hell, just the back end of it just completely shunted in, where, you know, someone's fallen asleep, a truck has fallen asleep or something, and bang, terrifying. I remember my driving instructor teaching me that if you do break down anywhere, point the wheels away from you, and and similarly, if you're waiting to turn right at a junction, don't point the wheels to the right, because if somebody runs into the back of you, you'll then go into oncoming traffic as well, so always stuck with me, that. Yeah, yeah, that's very, very wise advice. Very wise advice. But, I mean, this. I think, ultimately, this whole fiasco sums... I mean, it, and it's a tragic fiasco. People have lost their lives. I mean, really it's is. the families of these people that have basically been to Parliament and represented themselves to, as the, the face of the folly that these people have enacted upon us. And I, I think it just basically sums up the phrase false economy, if nothing else. Mm. There's been other changes as well, hasn't there? Because this month, January, this is, there's going to be changes to the highway code too. Yes, yeah, this is um, this is a bit of a change, and again, controversial. This because there's now this new hierarchy of road users. So, if you're in a big motorised truck, you are responsible for giving way to somebody on fewer wheels than yourself. So, if you're driving a car, uh, you have to look out for people on two wheels. Uh, if you're on two wheels, you have to look out for pedestrians, and if you're pedestrians, then God help you. But it's, um... See, that's that's the mirror opposite of common sense, because, again, going back to my uh, days of learning how to drive, my uh, instructor was going through how and when you need to give way, so if the obstruction's on your side, you give way, you give way to the right, if you're heading uphill, you have right of way, etc. And he said, but but at the end of the day, the, the overriding rule is, if they're bigger than you, give way, because if you Might bump is into right. each other, that's it will hurt thing. you more. Yeah. So yeah. don't hit something that's bigger than you. Watch out for things that are bigger than you. Well, fair enough. And that, that makes complete sense to me. Yeah. Mm. Well, essentially, it gives... Well, cyclists now have the right to continue across junctions without being driven into by car drivers, which I would like to think that the vast majority of us would probably try and avoid doing anyway. I know there are yes. people who will sort of zoom ahead and try and chop a cyclist or or a motorcyclist or whoever. But the problem is you've now got, and the IAM have um, voiced this, saying that you're going to have the highway code, which about 99.9% of people never touch again the minute they pass their driving test, unless you are 
one of the people that goes for the advanced driving test or you are just particularly bored in the toilet and you have it sat there next to you it's not a binding thing so most people say well i never need to touch that again why would i bother so there's going to be a whole swathe of people who aren't aware of these new regulations that are coming in whereas cyclists who made up about 70 percent of the respondents to the survey that brought in these changes are going to be carte blanche riding around safe in the knowledge that they can just carry on going down the inside of you as they approach junctions and wondering why they're being wiped out by cars because the car drivers won't be looking at the highway code and won't know that you now have not by law but something that can be brought up in a court of law in their defense they have the right to carry on doing that now and you can't chop them you have to give way at junctions where you're turning out of or into a turning cyclists now have the priority as do pedestrians who are wanting to cross on the corners i mean obviously at the minute a pedestrian crossing a road that you're wanting to turn into has priority and you have to give way and rightly so but now if you see them standing on the side of the road you have to allow them across and likewise if you see a pedestrian wanting to cross on a zebra crossing if they're stood at the side of the road you have to stop and let them go whereas before and this is a little known you only had to give way if they were already on the crossing so there's quite a few changes no 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 yeah see it's an odd one uh, as you say about intention you know i think that the vast majority of sensible people try and avoid an accident in the first place because ultimately it doesn't really matter who's wrong or right if the cyclist ends up with their head split open and they're dead and you've got a scratched up car or the cyclist is miffed and both cars are scratched or whatever happens you know ultimately i'd rather regardless of being right or wrong i don't want my car to get scratched and if i'm riding around on my bike i like my head to be roughly the shape well I don't like it the shape it is, but it's. Uh, I would prefer it stayed roughly intact. That's what you've got. Um, so it 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 kind of, you know, it it removes the well. Actually, try and avoid an accident. It doesn't matter who's wrong or right. Just don't have the crash. A cyclist going straight on. If you're indicating to turn left, you know, no no other vehicle has the right to do that. Why does a cyclist have the right to no. do that? It's it's ignoring the. Um, I, I believe it is somewhere in the highway code about vehicles performing manoeuvres have right of way as well. You know, if you're um, one, one I'm not sure about, maybe we'll look up or, or maybe David, you can educate. If I'm um, looking to reverse into my drive, so I, I drive up my road and I want to reverse into my drive. So I try and make my intentions as clear as possible in that I indicate left as I'm approaching. And as I'm slowing down, I then put my hazard lights on stop and reverse into my driveway but the number of people who overtake me you know who've been following me and then try and overtake me as i'm reversing back and of course as i put left hand down steering on the front of the car swings out and they and they end up nearly plowing into me i i was kind of under the assumption that as i'd indicated and made my intentions clear and was reversing they shouldn't overtake until safe to do so but what's what do, do you know the actual answer I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but common sense, you would think, would lead the people behind you to have been looking ahead far enough to have anticipated what you were going to do and being polite enough Mm. to allow you to complete your manoeuvre. But there is the argument that if you are wanting to reverse out of or into a major road, you should avoid that if at all possible. So if your your house is on a a busy trunk road, don't do it. Yeah, not not a busy trunk road at all at all. It's a, a, a relatively 
quiet residential road, but there'll be two cars drive up there every 15 minutes, one of which happens to be me and one of which happens to be somebody <laughs> who can't look six feet in front of their car directly behind me, as it always well, there, seems. Well, there, there's your answer. That's the thing. <laughs> I personally, if you if you know they're likely to be a cretin, would be just to sort of pull to the side of the road, wave them past, and then complete your manoeuvre in, in blissful silence, because it would be giving you're probably driving an electric vehicle these days. Um, See, I, the, the way I try and do it is, uh, if I think they haven't seen, is, uh, is, is as before, indicate, then hazards, pull up, stop, reverse, and then just just swing enough to make them panic and stand on the brakes <laughs> and then glare at them and then reverse back in as slowly as possible, taking preferably four shunts to get properly lined up with the driveway and then taking a second just to pause and thank them for waiting for me as I drive in. So it's that it's it's directly related to, to people that try Passive and push their way out reverse. at junctions. I slow down and swerve around their bonnet at the last minute just to yes. just to uh, to highlight the fact that they've been a pleb. <laughs> But it's um, yeah, I, I, with you know, giving giving that that carte blanche to cyclists to do X, Y, and Z. It's you know, oh well, I was in the right. Yes, you're you're brain damaged, and you'll no longer be able to walk again. But yes, you were in the right. You did have right away. Well done. The problem we've got though is that it's not enshrined in law, but it's enshrined in something that could very well and would be used in cases where the law is invoked if something happens and you go to court in that there is automatic culpability assumed for the person in the in the more dominant vehicle so basically if you're in a car and something happens to a cyclist you've automatically got the weight of the law against you which i think is utterly wrong i mean it should be judged on its merits Completely. And yeah. and it's basically when you consider again, I mean the the IAM. Let me just um, dig out the quote because I wrote it down. The IAM response. Neil Grieg, who's the chief of IAM, said at the time it is skewed and biased because seventy five percent of respondents to the DFT were cyclists. They were actively whipped up, if you like, to to get on there and to push the cyclist case. And fair enough, that's what's going to happen, isn't it? If the DFT go, well, there's a huge weight of opinion here and we should really listen to the cyclists. And, you know, I'm not being political here, but cyclists can basically do no wrong ever since 2012 and Bradley Wiggins ruling the roads. If you live in Surrey or Sussex, you'll know what I mean. The roads are mm-hmm. awash week in, week Mammals. out with with the Lycra mm. Brigade, which, fair enough, you know, it's a very good, it's very active and so on, but it doesn't give you the automatic right to to the road and unfortunately what happens now is technically that is exactly what has happened yeah we've got the, the mammals the middle-aged um, men in lycra no one needs to see that no the, the real problem is that you be you can be in a queue of traffic and you've stopped and you're turning left and if you're on a road bike or any bike really but on a road bike particularly it's not difficult to do 20 30 miles an hour or whatever and what's going to happen, there's going to be a huge queue of traffic and you've got someone bombing past who's undertaking the traffic on the left-hand side as your mid-manoeuvre and they're not there, they're not there, they're not there and bang, they're there. Motorcyclists understand this. They've been, they've, they've seen this for years. They overtake a queue of, of traffic and the chances are someone at the front is turning right. It's happened to me. I'd, uh, I was in the process of turning right and a bike came flying down. I, I stopped because I saw the bike in time. But he was just too busy overtaking everything. On a motorbike, you can hear it. But if you've got people coming along the inside, flying down your left-hand side, you're not going to see them. They're doing 30 miles an hour. You're going to go and turn. There's going to be an almighty crash. It's a terrible, terrible idea. I completely get that it should be illegal to overtake and then immediately turn left and cut a cyclist off. That's just 
that's just not okay. But if Got you're stationary yeah. and you're turning left and something comes flying along the left-hand side, no, that's ridiculous. You shouldn't be giving away giving away to someone who's undertaking you. Yes, who's who's made the signal? Check their mirror. Made the signal. Yeah, I mean, basically, it should it should be common sense. But you're going to have cyclists who it could be argued have more than a little bit of holier than thou attitude about them. It, some, mm. shall we say, are going to say it's my right. I'm going to do what I want, and it's basically going to make life a lot more difficult for everyone everyone's going to be coming off worst on this the IAM's view is that the safest option is to separate those who are more vulnerable from those who are likely to cause them harm so more cycle routes more separated cycle routes even having cycle routes alongside traffic but separated by a physical you know sort of the little curbstone markers that that's perfect i mean you can you can see that there's a delineation you've got the more you've got a reminder there that there's likely to be a cyclist so it's probably more likely to make you look when you are turning into junctions and so on it's it's more of a feature Mm. on the road that's drawing your attention whereas at the minute you could be if you've driven in london you have my sympathies i haven't had to do it for a little while but you basically have to be your head's on a gimbal because you have cyclists left right front back of you going everywhere they like motorcyclists across the front with their yeah exactly just eaten alike yeah yeah and it's not fun and i accept that everyone has to share the road but it should be fair's fair if you're going to use the road you have an equal responsibility to look out for yourself and not just expect us to do it for you all the time yeah i i completely agree yeah when you say on the the attitude the uh, the the constant motorists uh gripe about cyclists is how they will quite happily cycle through a red light and uh, the, there's hours of fun watching videos on YouTube about cyclists who go through red light and they get clotheslined by people as they go through or pushed off their bike. And and I would quite happily do that. It's, it's a bit like driving around in uh, in Brad the Volvo. You know, we mentioned earlier you try and take avoiding action before an accident. You know, you don't just blast your horn and claim that you have right of way and crash into them unless you're in Brad the Volvo, in which case it's fine. But you I, don't I, crash I'm into almost, things with Brad, you go through them. <laughs> I'm almost uh, almost waiting for the day that I'm crossing the road and a cyclist goes through a red light because it means I can quite happily push him off his bike and, and hopefully the pain will educate him. And at that stage, because he is a bigger, in inverted commas, road user than me, then it's automatically his fault. But I think the, the red light violations need to be clamped down on. And I, I don't know, is, is it time for... Um, the age-old discussion around insurance, you know, not necessarily road tax or road fund license, as it's called these days. Everybody says road tax. Of course, that was abolished years ago. Uh, I don't think they necessarily need to uh, to pay to use the roads, but I don't think insurance is a bad idea for cyclists because if they bump into a car and it's their fault, then they can cause a lot of damage. But I think it yeah. also emphasises the uh, the need for a dash cam. Um, mm front yeah, and rear definitely. if possible get it get it wired in hard wired in and they're just just to protect yourself you know i, I nearly collected a, a cyclist only a young lad who could have only been about 12 or 13 early uh, early part of last year it was still dark at uh, you know half past four or five o'clock and i was driving home one night and he just shot straight out in front of me at a roundabout didn't start or i think he'd seen me too late panicked and carried on wearing 
dark jeans, a dark jacket, no lights on, no nothing. No and lights, if, yeah. If I'd, if I'd have hit him, that would have been my fault, unless I had a dash cam to say, look, it's pitch black, middle of the night, no lights, no nothing, and he just shut mm. down in front of me. It's his own stupid fault. And can I have his parents' details so I can claim for the damage on the car? Um, you know, we we had it just outside work, didn't we? Uh, a young girl ran out in front of a yeah. motorcyclist, ran straight out in front of him, didn't look, just ran out into the road, collected him, took him clean off the bike. He was only a young lad, but the the police's attitude towards him was was absolutely abhorrent. Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, and we'd we'd looked at it on CCTV, and I had to say to the the young lad's dad quite loudly in front of the police. So they could hear us, well, they're not treating him nicely. They're treating him as if it was his fault. She ran straight out in front of him. Not your fault at all. I've got it all on CCTV. So you need it. You let me know. And and the relief on, on his dad's face was was marked because the way the police were going was, you know, this, this awful, horrible hoodlum of a motorcyclist had tried to mow down an innocent young girl when actually... It was a young girl's fault, bless her. You know, don't want any harm to come to her. She was okay as it happened. But, you know, that, that's got to be on the parents uh, of that kid to be picking up for that young lad's damage that he suffered to his bike. So, he came again, off. it's, it's he common came sense, off, isn't it? He? Oh, yeah, he yeah. did, yeah. So that's yeah, bike damage went over to the, the bike, his helmet will need mm. replacing, all sorts of stuff. And that, that keeps him off the road for a period of time until he can afford to fix it. But, again, it, it kind of doesn't matter who's right or wrong. If you'd have had the common sense to look and not run mm. out in front of the road, all of that could have been avoided. It, there, there are so many problems here. I mean, with the, the cycle lane you mentioned earlier on down the side of the road, my, my route to work from home, they're currently doing road works, so they're digging everything up. They're basically putting a cycle lane in the whole way from my house to the office. Cracking. But down the side of the road, there is already a cycle lane. But because the cyclists have to stop, to go round a roundabout or stop whatever, they just ride on the road. <laughs> so that they're, they're causing a huge problem by riding on the road. And I had the same thing. I was crossing the road that Jim mentioned. Red light. I was halfway across. Cyclist went straight through the red light in front of me, nearly knocked me over. I shouted at him. He stopped. What, do you think I should have stopped then? Well, yes, you probably should have stopped then because you've just gone through a red light, you idiot. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, there are some people that think the law doesn't apply to them anymore, but clearly it does. And you can't have an arrogance on one side and then just expect that, oh, I'll just do whatever the hell I like. It just doesn't work. We've got to share the road, fair enough. While I'm on a bike, I try to be careful of everything else and keep an eye on the cars and pedestrians and the rest of it. But when I'm in my car, by the same token, or one of the cars, I just need to make sure that everyone is safe, that we can all carry on as we should do and go about our daily business without just people coming along and undertaking me on the left-hand side. Rant over we had a wonderful sort of moment of there must be a god demonstrated to us as we were leaving work one night and where, where i used to work was in west london and as there was a big sort of junction going into where i i worked sort of one of those staggered pedestrian crossings junctions cyclists regularly went through on red and it was a bit of a bet noir for anyone who had to cross that bit of road just about to go across cyclist goes through on red my colleague goes oh it's I won't use the actual word. It's red, you... And he used another word. <laughs> and the cyclist turned round, flicked him the Vs, turned round, looked where he was going, and went straight to the back of the bus that was parked in the bus <laughs> lane that he just slammed into the Excellent. back of. At which point my mate called him the word again, and uh, we carried on <laughs> on our way. It was um, very, very entertaining. 
it would have been wonderful at that point as well to, to scoop him up and extract his name and address from him to send a bill for the damage to the bus. That's That reminds me, <laughs> yeah. there's a, a very satisfying video on uh, on YouTube of a cyclist uh, who um, swerves out to the middle of the road, t- takes up prime position through a, a pinch point, which is, is totally acceptable. But you can see that they don't make any shoulder check, they don't make any whatever. Um, and just cut a, uh, I think it's a little MX-5 straight up. So he blasts the horn quite rightly, and the cyclist turns around that arrogant man, yeah, turns back round again to see that, oh, there's a curve there, bang, and hits the deck. I mean, if, <laughs> if that was me driving that Mazda, the end of the video would have been me picking them up round the collar, laughing as loud as I could into the camera, then get, getting back in the car and driving off again. It's just, that's that's a very nice bit of karma, that video. Yeah, karma's yeah. great when it happens, isn't it? It's it's rare, but when it does happen, it's well worth the effort. They do mention as well in the in the new highway code revisions. If you're on a bike and you're in a position where you need to be seen, you should maybe move move out into the middle of the road so that you can make your manoeuvre or whatever and be safe. And, and that I kind of get. And it's the same when you see proper bikers as opposed to people just weaving in and out of traffic. And I don't mean filtering at sensible speed. I mean the idiots that are flipping through one way or the other and you know, going into the oncoming and nearly causing accidents, that kind of stuff. I mean, proper, mature, sensible bikers. And you will see if there's a lot of traffic and it's built up, they'll quite often sit in the middle of the lane and they will wait and they will move with the traffic because they can see what's happening and they can see buses are trying to get past the opposite direction. And you can tell who are the people that have been riding for a long time because these aren't the idiots that are riding around in flip-flops and shorts or whatever. These are people that are that obviously been riding for a long time, generally speaking, have all the leathers on, the proper boots and all the rest of it, and are just generally quite sensible about what's around them. And this is what needs to happen with cyclists, with motorists, with everybody, basically. You just need to be very conscious of what's around you and just don't be a cock. It's, <laughs> it seems like, it, it, it. to my mind, it doesn't seem that complicated. And that doesn't mean, oh, now I can go on the left-hand side so that people don't, uh, you know, I have priority if they're, if they're alongside them, stop them from turning doesn't mean I can go hacking along the left-hand side at 30 miles an hour and they should just stop because it just doesn't work like that. The thing that bothers me is the presumption of guilt, the automatic presumption mm. of guilt if you're in a car and a lorry or, or whatever. All car drivers hate cyclists and therefore they're automatically the ones that are going to try and kill them. So if the cyclist was zipping up the outside and wasn't bothering to look at the flashing orange thing on the side of the car and the fact that three quarters of the car was already into the bloody turning, that's still the fault of the driver. Uh, I just think like you say it's common sense it's there is no common sense anymore everything's got to be legislated for because everyone wants to blame everybody else and if everyone just looked out for anyone else yeah exactly and just look out just everyone take care pay attention look further than your phone look actually out at what's going on around you and cyclists don't wear earphones when you're riding around as well so you can hear emergency vehicles horns the sound of engines that sort of thing which might give you a clue as to what's going on around you don't immunize yourself from the world that you're actually existing in and that's hazardous to you do everything you possibly can to make it less so don't just rely on everyone else to look out for you and i think we'd all get along a lot better so certainly someone's put a pound in dave but i completely agree with you there what's going to happen is you're going to get articulated lorries with bikes wedged underneath the middle of them Mm -hmm. and it'll be the lorry driver's fault obviously yeah. yeah 
because they because they're not highly trained drivers at all they don't have to do a huge course and spend a fortune to get themselves through the the test and learn how to drive one of these things and sort of counter for all the angles and having to take wide swerves going around these corners that the cyclists can now just wave their way straight across oh yeah mm. absolutely lorry drivers for every time yeah and and get rewarded by the likes of having to pee in a bucket because there's no there's no <laughs> toilets anymore or anything else it's just you know no if you've ever jumped up in a cab velour, and if you ever get the opportunity to do this, sometimes have them at fairs and bits and pieces where you can, they say, I'll oh, get up and you know, sit in the actros or whatever and have a play. You look around you, my God, there's so much you can't see. If you think it's bad and you need parking sensors to reverse, you need to have a look at what it's like. And yes, they've got better. And yes, there are cameras places and they point down and look at blind spots and stuff. But if you're, if you're sat in the seat in a truck, you try and look directly down, get your mate to stand in front of the truck, assuming it's not moving, but directly in front of the truck, you can't see him. There's no way. And if a bike was in front of you, you wouldn't see it. If a car's in front of you, I'd imagine you might be able to see just the front of the bonnet. It's, it is, it's scary how much you can't see. And yes, you get people then, oh, well, it's my right way, this, that, and the other. And I'm sorry, mate. It just, I honestly couldn't see you. You know, there's going to be a lot of people killed because this because mm-hmm. of this this stupid new Roy. It's it's. I understand what they're intending, but it's bloody dangerous. It is really dangerous, and people are going to die, especially in places like London. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Doesn't it remind you of something? Oh, what was it we were talking about a half an hour ago? Oh, smart motorways. <laughs> people mm. are going to die, and people have died, and I am absolutely certain. I'm afraid that you are right. But it should be pointed out, just as you mentioned that, remind me that these regulations don't actually come into force for whatever force they do. Well, the, they are not valid until the end of this month, which is January 2022. So basically, um, if you're a cyclist and you want to uh, go whiz down the the inside of a load of articulated lorries, um, hold off until the 1st of February. When you'll be completely and utterly safe. Uh, yep. And the little force field will, will surround you and you'll be fine. I will point out at this point that I have a bike which I cycle, so I suppose I'm also a cyclist. Jim has a bike which he cycles about, so you're a cyclist. Uh, you, Dave, are you a and cyclist? Me. I do. Yep, uh, a leisure cyclist. Yeah, oh yes, yeah, no, nothing nothing so serious. So we are all cyclists here. Yeah, it's, it is worth pointing out where we are cyclists, we are pedestrians and we are you know and when when i'm performing the said maneuver of reversing into my driveway if there's uh people walking up and down the pavement i give way to them i always do yeah um the yeah. the number of people that just stand there like a lemon and look at you yeah so well get on with it if you're going is is irritating but again it's it shows that the the highway code is not common knowledge because pedestrians should read the highway code too everybody should read it because whether you're all a pedestrian horse rider cyclist motorcyclist car driver hgv driver hovercraft pilot whatever it is that's using the road uh you need to be aware of the rules you know as a pedestrian probably more so than anyone because you're the most vulnerable i would say yes i mean you you probably have a bit of a job convincing most pedestrians that that was a good idea but you're absolutely right anybody who has any business in or around a road which is the vast majority, if not all, of the uh, constituents of this country should have at least seen it or picked it up, leafed through it, if you're a pedestrian, if nothing else. Just familiarise yourself with what other people are likely to do to you so that when you do step off the road where you're not supposed to, don't be surprised when a cyclist comes along and knocks you flying. Or cars or lorries or buses, anything else on the road, not just cyclists, but you get my point. 
Right, moving away from angry rants then. <laughs> <laughs> we have got some things, but we have actually booked the fist in for a track day and we've bought many things. For it. In fact, all the cars have been bleeding me dry. But I'll, I'll let you lead off with the fist, Jim. Uh, yes, we have. Well, we've uh, we've actually spent a few a few pounds on it as well with uh, maintenance and a few upgrades, haven't we? So we've got um, some new brake discs and pads to go on it because they're they're slightly juddery and worn out after our trip to Donington. They're, they're not in the best health, are they? Um, they they lasted well around brands, but you, you broke feel it. That yes. I didn't break them. Well, they, they still work. They, they they just got a bit hot. It's like sitting on a washing machine with three legs on it. It just goes <laughs> under heavy braking now. It's most unpleasant. It's, it's fine. It just shows I was trying hard. But you broke the windscreen, so it's fine. It doesn't matter. We'll, <laughs> we'll call it one all. Uh, but no, we've got uh, yeah, we've got some upgraded uh, brake pads and just some replacement discs for it, and some uh, some rather funky three D printed fog light replacement air intake thingamabobs which are which are genius i definitely yes. think you're gonna to have to invest in a 3d printer at some point because these are very cool little things so uh we've got that and some um a bit of uh steel tubing we just need to get some flat bar and uh, and have a friendly word with our local welder and get him to weld up some little brackets for us to uh get yes. some cooling to the brakes and uh, definitely call the power steering fluid dangs it, it's it's in our showroom at the moment so we were so short of new cars we thought oh sod it we'll put the track car in there keeps it warm and dry and it and it looks interesting we've got slightly pulled up on our audit when uh when the auditor said oh vehicles in the showroom must be free of stickers we, we couldn't really argue with that because there's there's probably a good three kilos worth of stickers on the outside yes. there. Um, but yep. it's, a, it's, it's sort of sweating a bit of power steering fluid all over the showroom floor as well at the moment, isn't it? So we do a need bit. to sort that, I think. The, these ducts are Only a bit. Cool, Only so... a bit. Most of it's in the engine bay, but some of it <laughs> it's is. It's all over everything cool. in the engine bay. These duct things are pretty cool. So where the fog lamps were at the bottom, either side of the grill, the glass bit comes out, the whole fog lamp unit comes out. You've got these two intakes. It looks like it's got black eyes down the bottom now. And then it has pipework ducting that comes off and then gets piped right into the back of the brake disc. This is what we've got these tubes and the little brackets and things we're making up for. So as you're driving along, it forces air through the brakes and then out through the wheels and because everything just gets a bit bit too hot under there. What's pretty incredible is, is cost us what? It's not, not a lot of money so far. 100 quid is it all in? Something like that. By the time we've done all the pipes and bits and pieces, we've paid the yeah, world. Yeah, something biscuits. like that. I think. It's, yeah. yeah, not a, not not a huge amount of money, was it? And if uh, if it keeps everything nice and uh, nice and cool, I think because we're running smaller wheels, so heat yeah. build up in uh, in the smaller barrels an issue. Because there's not a huge amount of room between the no. caliper and the barrel of the wheel, is there? So they're definitely no. getting uh, getting warm in there. Just um, looking at the pictures you were sharing with us there, Jim, it reminds me those little things of the um, the replacement headlights that you can get for the. I think it's the Dodge. Is it the Challenger Hellcat where one of the inner headlights gets replaced? with an That's air right. intake to yep. force air into yeah. that ridiculously big engine and exactly. keep the supercharger yeah, exactly fed. Exactly that. And you, they used to do it in the old days with the Morettis, you know, the Moretti headlamps. You'd take the main beam out and put them where the main beam used to be. Oh, so yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, so it pushed the air through there. It's, it's the same sort of principle. Um, and we've actually nice. booked, we've booked Goodwood, which is mm, probably not the cheapest track day that we've ever, that we've ever attended, it, to the extent we're actually we're there for a track afternoon which includes lunch, which I think is very gentlemanly. I, I very much like the idea that you have lunch and then you go out and drive. Luncheon. But it's, it's a three-hour session of which you're allowed to drive for 45 minutes. It doesn't seem like a lot for, for half a track day. So I, I guess you come off and have some more luncheon uh, and then go back on again. 
Uh, it, it does seem like a short trip, but I really quite like Goodwood. We all really quite like Goodwood, and so it's something we're very much looking forward to. So there is that coming up. Definitely something to look forward to. If nothing else, it means we'll be able to put another uh, track outline sticker on the, uh, the inside of the Southern Strip as well, because we've been yes. to the track. So uh, that's the rule. Every time we go to a new track, we do a new sticker for the inside. It's, it's sort of like a car tattoo, I guess. And the inspiration comes from um, from a, a number of old rally cars and things where they would put the run plaques on the inside of the roof. And if you've ever seen this, it looks it looks brilliant when they've completely covered the inside of the car in the stickers of the various campaigns they've been in. So as we've we've been through and, and crossed off the tracks, so they are on the inside of the sunstrip. Just something something for us. Maybe we should print loads of Brad's hatches off. We've done a few of those. We can have like kills, like they have on the side of World War Two planes, <laughs> fighting yeah, planes. Yeah, we've done it a few times, haven't we? Yeah, we have. Aside from that, all the all the cars seem to be bleeding me dry in one way or the other. Focus had a new core pack yesterday. The mini, oh, I can't remember what that needs now, but uh, I've got to do the windscreen because somehow that's got damaged. Uh, I'm not saying I've got form here, but that that does seem to happen. Needs a new rear wiper motor and bits and pieces. Nothing really exciting. You have got form. A hundred percent of the damaged windscreens I can recall in recent memory have been damaged by you. Yes. Okay. Well, let's not get caught up in who's damaged what. Um, and on the the way back, doing a favour, dropping a car back. Uh, I picked up the mini um, from a friend of mine and uh, drove it home. Hit a massive pothole, split the run flat, put an egg in the sidewall. And then the powder coat on the wheel managed to crack all of that. So I now need uh, I now need the wheel completely refurbishing and I had to have two new front tyres. Uh, so a couple of uh, run flat Pirellis later, uh, I am once again poorer. And then, well, I've been ticking along with the onion. So you'll look forward to, hopefully look forward to, a bit of an update coming on that soon, which we will put on our, our YouTube channel. So look us up. We're at UK Motor Talk everywhere on the socials and on YouTube, of course. Um, and uh, yeah, there's been a lot going on there. So everything underneath has been completely uh, refurbished, painted, under sealed, what have you. And then I've put it back on the car because it's so unbelievably cold in my garage, working 18 inches off the floor, just because it is pretty horrific. You put it all together and you just decide to put the lower arms in and you, you, know, you jack them up very carefully. Um, using whatever lubricant you need to do to, to make sure the bushes all fit. And you pop it all in and... Where you've got the uh, everything supported with rags on it, yeah, it's damaged the paint. How is this possible? I've I've spent ages trying to paint everything, make it look half reasonable, put it all together again, and it chips it again. In truth, the only reason why I bothered to do it in the first place is because the car's thirty-one and a bit years old now, or whatever, nearly thirty-two years old, and it's lasted that long because it was treated in the first place. So I kind of wanted to do it again and do it properly in the hopes that it will last long enough for them to be worthless again, because what happens? It happens in cycles. Car, car ownership, and and the value of it. Like the the old stuff, the vintage stuff. Sadly, a lot of the old guys that uh, that were really into that are no longer with us or are giving up driving. The car values start to drop off. At the moment, eighties stuff is worth an absolute fortune, and so is nineties stuff because people like me and people a little bit older than me had those kind of cars growing up when they were a few hundred quid and they were really exciting to have an XR3i and you ragged it and it ended up in a field or whatever. People are buying them now, sticking them in the garage, take them out weekends, you know, sitting behind their Cosworths with a little T-urn and bits and pieces going at shows, all that kind of stuff. And they love it. But they are an absolute fortune to the point where if you want to go out and buy a Sierra Cosworth, you have to spend more money than you would do on buying a really nice Porsche, which to me seems absolute madness. And I'm, you know, I'm a diehard fan of the old fast forwards whole point was that they were cheap blue collar cars that could 
you know, kick Porsches up the arse or whatever, you know, you could go out and, and beat supercars in them, supercars in their day. It doesn't kind of work if they're more money than the cars you were trying to beat. <laughs> know what you mean about the uh, the value of 80s and 90s cars. You know, it's, it's got to a stage a few years ago, me and a friend were umming and ahhing about getting a, you know, Mark 1, Mark 2 Golf. Oh, yeah, I'd like one of those. Oh, yeah, I'll keep an eye. Well, I might get one of those. But the, the discussion we had the other day was, should we go halves on one and own half each? Because I, I haven't got £20,000 to spend on one of them. So... If you've got 10 and I can find 10, then, yeah, we'll have it between us and just, you know, it would be like a, a child after a divorce, wouldn't it? We'd just have to have shared custody of it and uh, and drive it on alternate weekends. But, yeah, when uh, when you see, pristine, to be fair, pristine examples, you know, tatty ones go uh, for a little bit cheaper if you put the work in yourself. But when you see a, a pristine Mark One Golf go through for upwards of 20 grand, it's... um. Quite uh, quite depressing in a way, really. So they're, they're just being pushed out of reach now, unfortunately. Well, I was looking the other day, just as you do on a board moment, flicking through Auto Trader, and um, try, guess how much I found, albeit it was a Raider edition, so it was the one everyone wanted, the really uh, nice sort of... Renault 5. You know, the Renault 5 GT Turbo, eighth yeah. registration, probably one of the last. It had done, I think it had done about 35,000 miles, which isn't a lot really when you consider it. Guess how much they wanted for that? 35. Uh, it wasn't quite that much. No, 15 grand. It was about 19,995. It was a dealer, so money. somebody who knew yeah. the value, but 20 Ooh. grand for a Renault 5 GT Turbo. I mean, the scrap that the thing is though, the gamut is huge you go to the bottom end of that ratty ones that have had massive turbos put on them the rear wiper delete slammed to the floor all of that sort of thing they're going for sort of three and a half four grand but even then you know that's that's not inconsiderable money for something that's basically a shed and you're gonna have to spend a lot of money putting it back to normal it does show the 80s and 90s you're absolutely right they are the thing to have at the minute and i'm as guilty i would dearly dearly like to have an uno turbo again now but I, that's way out of reach because there weren't a huge amount of them to start with and those that are still left are probably stupid money now it's odd when uh when you sat there looking at uh at a mark one or a mark two golf that sold for more money recently than a 2006 r32 yeah that's that just where the i, I understand the the nostalgia and the feeling around the mark one and mark two but it's it's just I, I mean I'm only saying it because I would much rather own a Mark One or a Mark Two uh, than a Mark Five, and that's that probably points as to why the Mark One or Mark Two is worth more money. But yep. yeah, it's just a, the 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 desire to recapture the youth, and and probably actually it, it would be not not that exciting or interesting to drive compared to some modern cars. Certainly power wise, it would be a a tootling around Sunday drive out for a picnic kind of thing. But yeah, there's, it's, it's still just a niche which I think is going to have to get scratched sooner, sooner or later. But every time you look through them and they go through, it it just seems to you know it's it's like saving up a deposit for a house. Every time you've managed to save up an extra five thousand pounds, that's not enough. You needed to save seven and a half, so you go away and save another two and a half, and they say, oh, actually no, you need another five again. by now because the uh, you know 
the the amount you can save is going up slower than uh, than the deposit you need. <laughs> it's the uh, the eternal problem, isn't it? If if on your travels is a matter of interest, if on your uh, searches for a Mark One or Mark Two um, tin top version of the Golf, if you find a nice or possible project version of the Mark One convertible GTI, the Carmen, I'd be quite interested in one of those because I always absolutely love them. Somebody I worked with at the very first place I worked when I was a, a trainee engineer, he bought with an inheritance. It was G Reg that aubergine colour GTI on alloys, uh, Mark 1, and it was just the most beautiful thing. Absolutely lovely car. Uh, Yeah, that's the one that you're showing us now. That that sort of thing, but the the more spiffy GTI version. Four four and a bit grand. Not too bad. Yeah, that's the same thing. You look around, you see the odd one, you think, yeah, yeah, it's not too bad. And there's... But the the one next to it it just seems to go for, for crazy money. I mean, you know, there's a... There's an F Reg eight valve Mark II that that I think sold for three grand. Blimey. It says winning bid and it says sold, and that you know that that seems good to me. But then you hit the sort of nirvana of a sixteen valve big bumper in oak green with twenty thousand miles going for sort of thick end of twenty five grand. I should imagine something like that. Yeah, and of course I think that nowadays to uh, to find you know if you said okay well I'll get that and I'll put the big bumpers on it. Um, you know, I think to find a set of big bumpers these days is uh, you're, you're going to be paying a hell of a chunk of change for uh, front and rear big bumpers, aren't you? So it's that. Okay, oh, yeah. actually, it looks it looks reasonable at, at three, uh, but by the time you've um, done a, a complete body restoration, that adds what three, four grand to it, something like that. If you do a reasonable amount of work yourself um, and you want it done to a wonderful standard. Um, and then if you, oh, well, I found a man who's got front and rear big bumpers. They're a bit tatty and he wants two grand for them. Well, how many others are for sale? None. Yeah. Ex- name your price. So, sounds really, like they're it? two grand then, doesn't it? Really? Um, and, uh, yeah. And all <laughs> of a sudden you can see how actually, yeah, the, the immaculate one that's had everything done to it very quickly. You think by the time I've spent a few years and, uh, and put all the effort in, actually I need 20 grand for it. Otherwise... I'm keeping it. Yeah. And I, I think there's a lot to be said for actually originality, isn't there? I mean, if you've got a, hmm. an early 16 valve, they were different for a reason because they were sort of a natural evolution of the 8 valve, which had small bumpers. It was only later in their life, the late 80s, where the big bumper cars suddenly arrived. And, you know, if you're going to get an early one, leave it looking like an early one and make it as good as possible. If not, hang on and find a nice big bumper car. I I, mm. I can't see why you'd why you'd want to spend all that money making it something it wasn't. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. That they are they're a cool looking thing. To be fair, Mark, Mark II golfs are always my my favourite shape. I reckon there's something about that shape, particularly in GTI in red with the the BBS RAs on them that that oh, really yeah. uh, tickle my Crossbokes. pickle. I have to say, I, I'm a big fan of the BBS RA, which is why yeah, I'm stuck I on, see, I, on my I think because my First car was a Mark II Golf. I will always have a soft spot for the Mark II Golf because that was my yeah. first, my first car, my first glimpse of uh, of freedom and and everything that that motoring brings to a seventeen year old lad, and and it was wonderful. But I'm 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 not sure. I think if you if I think if I was given the choice between a Mark One and a Mark Two, I think I'd probably pick a Mark One. It, it's interesting. I don't have that same warm fuzzy glow whenever I see a Kia Picanto SE. Uh, which was my first car and and glimpse of freedom. I I don't really get the same sort of warm feeling about it, I have to say, but (laughs) the cost of the the cars going up, sometimes it's proportionate to to the restoration or repair amount of work you put into it. 
other times they are just absolutely ridiculous. And when you see, let's say, yeah, Sierra Cosworth changing hands for 150 grand RS 500 or something, you just think this is madness. You, that buys a very nice car now. I appreciate someone's dream car, but for me, I always think it's a bit sad when you see stuff and people buy it and they don't drive it. Because if you've got something that's that's like that, you kind of want to be able to take it out and take it down the pub on a Sunday. You know, just take it out and enjoy it. Uh, I'm not saying that, you know, everyone needs to be Mason in his Ferrari. I mean, that's a different uh, a different kettle of fish entirely. But yeah, you kind of you kind of want to use this stuff. And parts are getting hard to get hold of, I, I get. I mean, I, I tried to get hold of a new fuel pump because mine makes the sound of like a, a sick constipated seal whenever you start the car up now. Just for the uh, listeners at home, can you uh, can you just do your finest impression of that? Um, yum, 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 yum. Just getting ready. Do my warm-up exercises. <laughs> can you start the car? So I thought, oh, yeah, it's fine. I'll just get a new yeah, fuel Yeah, you shouldn't pump. sound like that. No. Went for, to the motor for those factory. of you old enough, Johnny Morris is alive and well. <laughs> Went to the motor factors. Yeah, we've got a, we've got a, a pump on the shelf, actually. It's... Uh, it's under a thick layer of, of dust. It's a Bosch one, but we'll get it down. Got downstairs. No, this is not an in-tank pump. This is an in-line pump. Not right. And then just couldn't find a fuel pump. Eventually managed to get the parts numbers out of the system, uh, the Ford system, to try and figure out what it is I was looking for. If you could buy them from Ford, they would be £586. Cool. I found one on eBay for £400. And another one, you probably can get a reproduction one in, in Germany for about 450 Like, Jesus, wet. So I've, I've, effect, <laughs> I've eventually managed to break it down to its components and the, the actual pump bit of it, which is obviously the bit that's making the noise. Um, I have, I've managed to buy a, a new uh, AEM Motorsport one, which will work for cars up to 1,000 horsepower. So 150 horsepower should be fine for about 100 quid, uh, which, which is fine. I, I can live that, with that. That should be adequate. Yeah. Yeah, see. And again, I, th- I think that's fine if you're, uh, if you're maintaining the classic, actually, if you, uh, if you upgrade the fuel pump to something racy, that's, that's absolutely fine. You know, if, uh, if the seat wore out and you put a cheap bucket seat in it and threw one of the original seats away, that would be a shame. Uh, but all the bits under yeah. the uh, under the hood, if you can replace those with uh, better components, I think that's uh, that's probably okay. You've yeah. resto modded an Orion. Yeah. <laughs> all praise you know, praise this, to you. This this was always the idea um, at the beginning was to to fit what well, at the time was a relatively modern engine, being a ZTEC, which now it occurs to me is well the earliest ones were like nineteen ninety two, ninety three. So they're, they're getting on a bit now, and and the newest ones went out in what about 2002 2003 maybe a little bit later in the focus 2005 so they they are cracking on a bit now but the the original idea was to to build one of those with a supercharger run a more modern braking system and and that was they pretty much leave it alone leave leave the bodywork looking as it is and and this is kind of what we've got to so we've got 15 inch wheels bbsras which are almost identical to the original ones that are on the car just a, an inch bigger it runs a cosworth brake setup at the front which is 283 mil so quite a big size brake setup for what is a car that weighs less than a ton and a, a more modern setup for the gearbox and engine and everything else and and soon hopefully engine management just so you can use it all the time but this is again these were cars that when when i bought it i think i paid about 600 quid for it it was my student loan for a term i remember that much now the the insurance company well when i, when I insured it I said okay well your insurance was six grand. It's probably seven grand this year. Looking at the car and, and where you're at with it, and some of my some of my friends believe our oh, Orion owners do have friends. Um, 
are saying that maybe it should be a bit more now and it just seems absolute madness really it's just a you know just an, an old average family car and i find it amazing i don't find it particularly amazing when things like ferraris and lamborghinis and stuff survive but when things like a you know a mid-spec ford orion or you see a vw jetta or like when, uh, uh, the morris marina austin allegra who saved those why are they still around how 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 do you still see them at shows? It's madness. How did they live on? These survivor cars, I find, I find quite incredible, really. Particularly if they're unmodified and original. You think, how on earth has this lived so long? Well, put it this way: I mean, there was round where I used to work in West London, around Chiswick. There was quite a lot of money around there, as you can imagine. It's quite a wealthy part of West London. And there were quite a few people with some very interesting Survivor classics. I mean, there was I used to every day drive past somebody who had a, a Mark One XR3i that wasn't in the best condition, but it was obviously a decent runner because whenever it, you did hear it running, it had a proper the proper XR3i fruity rasp off the exhaust, and it wasn't hanging about, and there was no smoke coming out the back, and that was that was always nice to see. There was somebody with a um, God only knows what it was the very I was going to say a boxy mid-80s um, Alfa Romeo. It wasn't a 33, <laughs> but it was um, it was the sort of the three-box saloon. I, c- I can't remember which model it was. Somebody out there will know better than me. But seeing that thing pottering around was just a joy to see. Yet every other car around there was a high-end Ferrari, a Tesla, a Mercedes and all this. All the sort of things that all the... You know, all the fanboys on YouTube go mad for. I couldn't give a monkey's about those. It was seeing these cars, these things that yeah. reminded me of my childhood and that gave me joy that they'd survived and gave me a link back to, you know, when I was first getting interested in cars. You know, the Marina was an awful car. God knows it was the first thing I drove. I learned to drive in a Ford Fiesta officially, um, a Mark II Ford Fiesta as my. Uh, driving instructor's car but when i wasn't in that i was driving my mum's marina estate around and it was hideous but it taught me all about what unpowered steering was about what a very light rear end in the wet will do all that sort of thing and i couldn't wait to get out of the thing but it was my first taste of freedom as jim said earlier and when i see one on the road now it makes me smile it makes me glad i'm not driving it but it makes me (laughs) smile it makes me glad it survived and it's just a joy it really is i appreciate i have a weird bent for liking the old onion it is unusual i have physically ruined myself and i probably will end up with piles (laughs) as a result of owning it uh from having wandered around just laid on the floor underneath it for quite so long but when I, I I do take it to a local show or event or something, the amount of interest and in people that come up and talk to me, and it's amazing people will pass by some exotic stuff just to come and chat about it, which must be really embarrassing for them. And I'm sorry if you're one of the people that have one of the beautiful, beautiful cars that parks next to me and they come over and chat to, uh, to, to a, a chap standing next to a Ford Orion, just being able to open the door in, in better times and say, oh, grab a seat, you know, and... They said, "Oh God, this takes me back." Or my dad had one of these, or whatever. And it, and people do have a proper nostalgia trip about it, and it it is nice. It's nice to be able to share that with people, and the fact that people people like it, and, and great, good for them. I'm I'm pleased that I'm I'm not alone in my in my weird bent. That this does on a slightly unrelated note. I know it's unusual for us to disappear off on a tangent here. I found myself at a mini show last year, and by chance we were sat having a picnic next to this 
beautifully restored yellow Was it in a garden surrounded by wine and where you were at work at the time? Uh, yes. Yes, I was. Down in Steen Gardens and Worthing. You must um, say sorry. So not my garden. Public gardens where you could sit and drink wine if you weren't driving. Um, and we were sat next to this, and everyone was coming up and saying, oh, it's a lovely car. I was like, yeah, it is, isn't it? Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Uh, because... It's just so complicated explaining each time. No, it's not my car. I'm just we just sat here to have a picnic or whatever. But a lot of people wouldn't even come up and, and ask that. They just can't go. Well, um, excuse me, mate. What colour is this? I didn't know what colour it was. It was yellow. <laughs> it's a yellow van. <laughs> Mini <laughs> yellow. Yellow. Yes. Yeah, but do you, do you know what colour yellow is? Mini yellow. I've no idea. You should, you should have just answered, but yeah, with with the wrong information, given them the wrong colour. It's like if uh, if somebody for some reason asks me when I'm uh, wandering around Halfords where something is, and I don't know, I just give them completely the wrong information. Or Tesco, I've noticed, but people come up to me and ask me where stuff is, so I just point them in completely the wrong direction for stuff. It's it's odd, but maybe it's something about Wicks, the colour of our uniforms. Really? It's it's obviously Tesco's colour, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So our, our company shirts have blue and red on them. Whenever I'm a Wix, someone will say that to me and say, oh, you know, where, where is this, that, or the other? And you go, I genuinely have no idea. Why not? Because I don't work here. I want to finish with one final thought, and that's not far away from me. One of the banks, like most high street banks, is shut, and they've turned it into this shop called Retro by Ronnie, and I have no idea what it was, because it looked a bit like a bar or something from the outside. What it actually is, is a number of different rooms, one massive shop in the middle and loads of shops that go off for it full of just 80s toys, basically. And it is all stuff like the A-Team and Knight Rider. Ah, I've seen this and I, I kept meaning to go in there, but I can't, you can't really tell what it is from the outside. It's, it's amazing. It's not that obvious. Yeah. It's incredible. They've got a brand new Sinclair C5 in there. They've got a big track. It's full of old Tamiya toys. Downstairs, they've got the old vault. You can have your photo taken by the old vault. They've got another thousand items in there. But if you like things like Airwolf, the A-Team, Knight Rider, Back to the Future. So it's like someone's looked and gone, hmm, let's have a look at uh, what Gates might like for this. And they've just, they've just built this entire shop. They've got a room full of old BMXs and choppers and things hanging on the wall. Bikes, that is. It, it is absolutely fascinating. So... As we'd said just before Christmas, and as we've said again now, people are happy to pay for the retro stuff because it makes them happy. And maybe, who knows, when the world starts to recover a bit and if we have some money in our pockets, maybe that's what we'll do. We'll just relive our, our retro best lives. And I think sometimes what's better than enjoying a bit of that nostalgia? So from me, Mike, I guess it's a nostalgic goodbye and we'll see you next time. From me, Jim, it's goodbye, and if uh, you are a cyclist and you're undertaking lorries, uh, be careful up until the end of January. And from me, Dave, I just echo what my colleague has just said. Look in your mirrors, if nothing else. Cheers! UK Motor Talk, a first-take media production.